0: Welcome to the official podcast of North Park Church. This week is week three of our current message series, New Mercies, all about change, both great and not so great. This week, you'll hear from Pastor Anthony Braswell about leadership, the importance of it, especially when it comes to change. Great leaders help respond to change, plan for it, and lead others through it well. We pray this message will inspire you and help you to grow in your walk with Jesus. We're in a series right now called New Mercies. And today I want to give you what I feel like might be a new perspective or at least remind you of how important this perspective is. As you look at your work and you look at leadership, uh, we say a lot and you can turn with your Bible to me to Matthew chapter 20. Uh, We're going to be in uh, Matthew chapter 20 today. Um, Also, there's a QR code. Um, In just a few weeks, Pastor Chris and I are going to sit on a stool uh, or two stools. We're not going to sit on the same stool. (laughs) I just got an image of me on a stool with him in my lap. I don't know why I had that image in my head. Um, but you can scan this QR code and ask any question that you want. And we're going to tackle the question uh, within reason. Any qu- we'll try our best to tackle every question that you guys submit. So do that. You've got two more weeks to do that. Uh, we're going to end our series this week or this, this, this month t- uh, talking about those questions. So make sure you do that. Uh, but you can dive into Matthew chapter twenty, uh, and and as we think about like who we are as a church family, we say a lot that, that God did not send us here to raise up a group of people we could pastor, but instead to raise up a group of people who would pastor the city, and and really what that means is like loving the community that we're in, and and love the community that we're planted, and and whether you realize it or not, as a follower of Jesus, you are a leader in our community. And you're, you're, we have a lot of students here today. You're leaders on your campuses and you're leaders in your classes and you're leaders on your sports teams your leaders in, in no matter where you play, work, shop, or live, like God is a, a calling on your life to, to lead. But the thing is, we don't always know exactly how we're supposed to do that. What does that look like in real life? And so I want to give you a new perspective on what I think would be leadership according to biblical principles and 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 really the, the work that you put your hands to every single day. Let's look at Matthew chapter 20. We'll start in verse, verse 20. So 2020. I called my dad last night. I was like, Doing? He's like, I'm I'm, I'm watching 2020. I was like, well, he's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm reading 2020. I was reading Matthew 2020. So let's dive in here. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down. Ask him a favor. So this is the mother of James and John. And what we find is this is not a stranger to Jesus. This is someone who kind of followed in the group that followed Jesus as his disciples. And she came with a request that would really make a mother proud and that would make her sons really happy. She was a regular member of this discipleship group. And so she just kind of went wherever Jesus went. And, and so she had this ambition for her sons. And her sons had an ambition that the mother spoke up for. And verse 21, what is it you want, he asked. And she said, here's the request. Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So now as Jesus was talking about that the kingdom of God was coming to the earth and, and that he was this Messiah, this long-awaited Messiah, they were waiting for a political Messiah. They wanted a political rebellion and they really believed that Jesus was going to just throw over the Roman Empire and he would sit as king on this throne and they really didn't understand what it was that Jesus was trying to accomplish in this time period and so they just had this idea if there's going to Be a kingdom. There's got to be a king, and that's going to be Jesus. And so somebody's got to sit at his right, and somebody's got to sit at his left. And here comes the mom who says, "Hey, when you're when you're choosing these positions, make sure that one of them is my son, you know, and on the other side is my other son." And and I don't know, I, I just get this idea of this, you know, this mom who comes up to a little league coach and goes, hey, would you let my son pitch tonight? It's that same kind of thing. I want this for my kids. Can you make this happen for me? She wanted prominent positions in this administration of Jesus. And you have to understand that these, the right hand and the left hand, this suggests that that there is prestige and power that goes along with these places of influence. And that's what these guys really wanted. In verse 22, Jesus says, You don't even know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I'm gonna drink? We can, they answered. And Jesus said, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left, it's not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. So you've got the twelve, you've got the two who want extra favor and, and this favorable treatment, and they were pretty frustrated that, that they were seeking this prestigious position and this power. And so Jesus calls them together. It's like, all right, let's all get together here. We need a little powwow. He gets them all together. And this is what he says. And this is very important. If you're a Bible note taker, I want you to underline this or in your YouVersion Bible app, start highlighting some of these scriptures. This is what Jesus said. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. So basically what he's talking about is a a common practice of leadership. And and it just didn't exist in the Roman Empire. We see it today. You see it in the marketplace. You see it in in the place where you live, where you shop, where where, where you work. We see it in our culture as we flip through the news and social media. Jesus said, you know that these rulers, what they do is they lord it over people. And their high officials exercise authority over over them. So it's this hierarchical approach to leadership of I'm here and you're down here and I have power and prestige and authority over you and so when I'm in this place of authority then I can lord over you as a leader. And then Jesus use four words that are very powerful. And I want you to write these four words down because they're very critical in our talk today. And here's what Jesus said. Not so with you. Like this is the way culture lives. This is the example that's set forth in, in the world that we live. And we see it everywhere we look. But not so with you. And I hear Jesus saying that in so many different areas of of our life. Like this is the way that people treat other people. Jesus says, not so with you. Like this is the way that people respond in in crisis and and when things are tough and when life gets hard. But Jesus says, not so with you. I know there's a cultural way to do things. I know there's a way that the world does things. But this isn't the way that we're going to live as followers of Jesus in this kingdom. That might be the way it works in that kingdom. But in this kingdom where Jesus is Lord. Where where his kingdom reigns supreme. We as followers of Jesus, not so with you. We are going to live our lives in a very different way. Or at least, at least we should. And then Jesus says, instead, whoever wants to become great among you. And that's what they wanted. They wanted power. They wanted prestige. They wanted position. They wanted to be great. They wanted to feel good about this position. They wanted a promotion. And Jesus says, if you want to be great, then what you must do is become a servant, right? Verse 21, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave just as the Son of Man did not come to serve or to serve, but he did not come to be served. Let's get that right. That's a very important part of my sermon today. Let me get that right. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, think about every area of life that we live in. If you want a promotion, if you want to be successful, what do you have to do? You have to climb the ladder of what? Success. And this idea of climbing the ladder, we got to get to this position, we got to be well, we got to do well here, got to prove ourselves in this position, we get a little promotion, a little pay raise, get another promotion, we just kind of climb in that ladder of success so that one day, ultimately, we can arrive to that place of power, prestige, and, and position. But think about what Jesus did when he said, not so with you. He took that model and completely flipped it upside down. Think about what Jesus did. Jesus left his place in glory, came down in the form of a man, took the role of a servant, humbled himself and became obedient, and then gave his life on a cross for me and for you. And as leaders in our world and as followers of Jesus, I think we'd all agree that we should be humble and we should serve others like Jesus, but that's not always our default position. We had great intentions, but here's a great truth. Your actions, my actions, speak louder than our intentions. We all know what we should do, we know what the priorities should be, but our actions speak louder than our intentions. I think this principle works a lot in our life. I mean, you can say, I love my spouse with everything that I have within me. I, I put my, my God first and my spouse above everything else. Do we? Is that our intention or do our actions actually Show that that's the way we live our lives. Our actions speak louder than our intentions. And many of us would say, hey, I put God first in my life. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things will be added unto me. That is a a core value and a principle in my life. I think that might be an aspiration. It uh, uh, It might be an intention. Our actions speak louder than our intentions. Do we actually walk that out? I mean, you've heard it said before, we all have this list of priorities. And if we wrote them down in a biblical order, I think we'd say that God is first and, and then our spouse and then our kids and then you know, ministry work and all this other things that we do. Like That's the biblical order of priorities and, and that's, that's the way we live our lives or at least we hope to, we want to, we aspire to do that. But if you really want to see someone's priorities, what do, what do you often hear people say? Look at their calendar and what? their checkbook or their bank account. How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? Because that actually is more indication of what you prioritize than just the list of things that we write down. We have great intentions, but our actions speak louder than our intentions. And Here's what I want you to see. Leadership was never meant to be about us or for us as leaders. Leadership is all about other people. And so if you're serving in any capacity, whether it's ministry in church or a leader in your sports team or on your job or in your community or a nonprofit that you serve, some place you volunteer, no matter where you lead, think about it. Leadership is about drawing out the best in other people. Leadership is about serving others. It's about leading others to a better future. It's about like being first, like and, and not like being first, but setting the example, being willing to take that first step, and and showing what it looks like to, to do a great job, to show what it looks like to be a servant, and and then to sacrifice. Leadership is not about power or privilege. It's not not about like trying to gain more for yourself. It's about honoring God with our gifts and talents. And it's about loving God and loving other people. Paul gives us some great insight in Philippians chapter 2. And I love this passage of scripture, but think about the wording as we go through it and just kind of unpack it. This is what Paul says. Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. I mean, think about that. If we could do that on our jobs, if we could do that in our classrooms and on our sports teams, if we could apply these scriptures wherever it is that you spend your life, man, it would be a game changer. Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly together, being in one mind and one purpose, loving one another, working together. And then he tells us how to do it. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress other people. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Verse 4 says, don't look only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Now I think that's important because sometimes we just kind of blow by that. He doesn't say never pay attention to yourself. He doesn't say focus on things that are important to you or, or, or just ignore yourself while you focus on other people. That's not what he says. He says don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. So it's both. It's having this, this healthy balance. And then he says you must have, and I think this is the hardest verse in Scripture to apply for me at least, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. How many of you get that right all the time? If so, you may leave now. You, know, you, you, go, you, go, you go lunch early, correct? You, this year, you, whatever, you know. Do we get that right? Do, do, do we struggle with that at times? Let's ask that. How many of you struggle to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had? Yeah. Yeah, I, I Mike and I were talking just, just last night. And, and and he was he was like, hey, um, you, you we we've moved and, and we moved closer to this community center that we can go to. I'm so embarrassed to tell you the story. I tell you, I talk way too much when I speak. <laughs> but I had told him I was like, "Hey, we can go play basketball at that gym again because we're closer to it now and kind of a different county. You know, we kind of moved back to Wake County. We're in Franklin County and back in Wake County, we go. We can go to that gym now." And he said, "Oh, that one you got kicked out of?" I was like, "I did not get kicked out of that gym. <laughs> I I lost my temper a little bit and I mouthed off maybe at a worker and got reprimanded a little bit. But I was having a hard time. Okay, like even your pastor does this. All right, like you, we." We go through some stuff sometimes, and we don't handle it well, right? I was right. I was wronged in that situation. And if you want to hear that story, you come to me after church. I'll tell you that story. I'm still mad about it. He said, do you think your name is going to be on a list when you try to go in this gym? I said, like, shut up, man. You've got to have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Verse 6 says, though he was God. He didn't think of equality with God, something to cling to. Instead, he, talking about Jesus, gave up his divine privileges. Again, turn this whole model upside down. Climbing this ladder of success, not Jesus. He descended the ladder to success. He gave up his divine privileges. Think about this this descending. He took on the humble position of a slave, was born to a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, died a criminal's death on a cross, and then look what happens. Look what the verse next says. Therefore, because he did that, Because he humbled himself, because he descended this ladder. Here's what God did for him. He elevated him to the highest places of honor and gave him the name that is above every name. I love that. What a beautiful model of leadership. We have this idea that we've got to impress people and we've got to step over people and we've got to get power, prestige, and position to be successful. But yet Jesus just gives us this unbelievable model of be faithful, be obedient. Do a great job. Love people. Humble yourself. And in the right time, God will elevate you. Not a supervisor, not a boss, not your CEO. God will elevate you at the right time to where you need to be. I believe that with all of my heart. It's a sowing and reaping principle. And when we sow the right seed, we will reap that harvest in our life. It's biblical. Remain faithful in the small things and I'll make you rulers over what? Many. That's what Scripture says. And so we don't have to climb this ladder of success, stepping over every person in our path so we can finally get this promotion and be the leader that we want to be. Instead, we see this model that's just flipped on its side. I want to give you a couple of important thoughts about Jesus' model of, of leadership. As followers of Jesus, regardless of where we are, I think Jesus should be our model. Here's a couple of things to write down. There is no place in God's kingdom for egotistical angry controlling vindictive or mean-spirited leaders. And when I say like God's kingdom, like don't think I'm talking about church, okay? I'm not saying there's no place in church. Hopefully that's a given, all right? But I'm talking about the kingdom of God on earth. Like this idea that that, that we as followers of Jesus are are, are living our life in a very different way. And so you may be in ministry. You may be in full-time ministry. But but you may also be in the marketplace, which you are still in full-time ministry. I believe no matter where you are, you were a missionary. And you were a Christian leader who is doing business as whatever it is that you do. And so we want to live our lives the way Jesus has taught us to live. And so as followers of Jesus, there's no place, no place for egotistical, angry, controlling, vindictive or mean-spirited leaders. Not so with you. How about say not so with me? Can you say that? Not so with me. Everybody else in the world may live their life this way, but not so with me. Here's the second thing. Jesus' model of leadership is, say this with me, servant leadership. Servant leadership. Jesus never made it about himself. He gave us this ultimate picture of servanthood when he knelt down and he washed disciples' feet. I mean, if anybody in the room should have been Having some feet washed. It shouldn't have been Jesus, right, in our minds. Because he's at the top, right? He's the leader. He shouldn't be doing these menial things. And Jesus is like, no. He turns it upside down and says as a leader, you're not the exception to the rule. Be the example of the rule. If you want people to serve others in the community, if you want people to serve others in your workplace, if you want to see this behavior in your team, then they need to see it in you as a leader. It's remember the Titans theology, right? Attitude reflects leadership. Captain, I love that movie. Attitude reflects leadership, Captain. If you want to see it present in your team, if you want to see it present in your your business, in your company, if you want to see these things present, you have to be the example of the rule, not the exception to it. And so Jesus shows us, what does it look like to serve? When I have the opportunity to go to church with Shannon, where she attends church in Atlanta, uh, Mount Perrin Church, they have this beautiful statue outside. They've got this little courtyard, and it's this beautiful bronze, life-size statue. And it's the disciple who's sitting in a chair, and there's Jesus kneeling down and washing the disciples' feet. This is what you see when you walk into this church. You don't necessarily see a picture of Jesus on the cross. You see Jesus modeling what it looks like to serve other people. And I always look for this statue because it's the funniest thing. It's a courtyard. There's benches and there's grass, kind of like at North Hills, kind of right outside in the middle of that area. It kind of resembles that a little bit. And and, and right in the middle, there's Jesus washing feet. And just like at North Hills, there's kids always playing around. And there's always a child on Jesus' shoulders on that statue. It's the funniest thing to me. Every time I walk by, I'm always waiting to see which kid's going to climb up on Jesus' back on his shoulders while he's watching, washing these feet. And when I think about it, I think, man, what, what a scriptural thing. Like this child is getting as close as they can to Jesus. And as followers, I want to get as close as I can. I want an eyewitness view as I look at Scripture. What is Jesus doing as a leader that I should be doing in my life? And I want to get as close as I can. I want my attitude to reflect him, although I don't always do it great at the gym. I want my attitude to reflect him. I want my leadership to reflect him. The way I love my family, the way I love my my friends, the way I lead in the community. I want my life to look like Jesus. So I want to get as close to him as I can, learn everything I can to apply those principles in my life. And the key to servant leadership, this is not rocket science, it's service. It's service. But the biggest hurdle to servant leadership, the biggest hurdle to you serving people in this community, the biggest hurdle to you pastoring a city, loving people the way Jesus wants you to love them, here's the biggest hurdle you got. It's the biggest hurdle I've got it's ego. It's our ego because nobody wants to descend the ladder of success. Nobody really wants this idea of serving because it's not always convenient and it's not always easy. And there's this thing that's driving us. It's ego it's it's ambition it's I've put in my time I've I've paid my dues I've I've put in the work and And I deserve to be at this place of prominence. I deserve to be at this place of power. I deserve to be this place of prestige. I want people to look at my life and and see, wow, that person is successful. So my question to you is, what motivates your ambition? I don't think ambition is a bad thing. I think this ambitious spirit to be great is not a bad thing. Like we want to do something great. We we want to make an impact. We want to be an influencer. But what is it that's driving our ambition? That's the question. Because I think you can have a healthy ambition, but you can also have a very unhealthy ambition. So which do you have? The reality is sometimes our motivation can be very selfish. Selfish. See, here's a thought. Ambition kills servants of God and turns them into servants of themselves. One of my favorite um, authors is Carrie Newhoff. And he gives us great insight on what happens when you're motivated by selfish ambition. Okay. And I'll share these with you. There's a lot. I don't know that you can write them all down. They're in the UVersion Bible app if you want to refer to them. If you go to the menu events, type in North Park Church, all the scriptures and notes are there for you. But he says this, when you're motivated by a selfish ambition, which means your ego is driving. Here's what he says. Your personal sense of worth goes up and down with the opportunities ahead of you. But when your ambition is godly, your value is solidly found in Christ every day. Now, I'm not going to be able to unpack every one of these, but I've done this over and over and over. Like I, I, if things are going great, you know, if everything's like everything's like just smooth sailing, then all of a sudden, my personal sense of worth is up here. And then the moment that things start to decline a little bit, and let's be honest, life isn't like this, like it's a lot of this, right? And so when it's high, you feel great. When it's down, like when you had a bad quarter or things didn't turn out the way you thought, the spreadsheet's not looking great, the P&L statement's not looking great, all of a sudden what happens? Your person's sense of worth, it goes down. You start saying, man, I obviously am not a great leader. I'm obviously failing here, right? But when your ambition is godly, your value is solid and it's found in Christ every day. It doesn't do this. You, are, you, are, you recognize that you are who God says you are. Here's the second thing he says when you're motivated by selfish ambition, failure is terrifying. But when your ambition is godly, failure becomes an opportunity for grace and growth. When you're motivated by selfish ambition, you think you're the deal. But when your ambition is godly, you know that he's the deal. When you're motivated by selfish ambition, you use people to get where it is you want to go. But when your ambition is godly, you value people as you go. I love this one. When you're motivated by selfish ambition, you take the credit. But when you're Ambition is godly. You realize how much God and the people around you deserve the credit. It's amazing what will happen on your team when you don't care who gets the credit. Let me say that again. It's amazing what can happen in your life when you don't care who actually gets the credit. Here's another thing. You have selfish ambition. You strive for the breadth of exposure. But when your ambition is godly, you focus on the depth in your walk and let God determine the breadth of exposure he gives you. Selfish ambition, you're always thinking about the next thing. But when your ambition is godly, you're always thinking about what God wants you to accomplish in your life today. Selfish ambition, always comparing yourself to the other guy. But when your ambition is godly, you begin to celebrate what God is doing through not only you, but through the other guy. Selfish ambition says it's hard to say no to any opportunity when your ambition is godly. It's easier to say yes to balance and priorities. Selfish ambition, you feel entitled to any success that comes your way. When your ambition is godly, you simply feel grateful. Selfish ambition, the need to win is greater than the need to love. When your ambition is godly, the need to love is greater than the need to win, and finally, Selfish ambition, you always feel insecure. When your ambition is godly, your security comes from his steadfast, unconditional love. I, I don't, I, and, and I don't know what it is that's driving it. I, I really don't. But the more leaders that I talk to and the more people that, that I have the opportunity to walk through life with, and I even see it in myself, and I'm still sorting through it, so I'm inviting you into a conversation I'm having right now. But so many people are struggling with this idea of I am not enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not wealthy enough. I'm not prepared enough. I've not planned enough. I, I'm, 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 I'm not driven enough. I'm not home enough. I'm, I'm not loving enough. I'm, I'm not patient enough. And, and, and it's like we all have this thing that's driving us that we're just not enough. Can we take a quick poll in a very safe place to say, you ever struggle with that? You just don't feel like you're enough? Yeah, I think a lot of us do. And I'm not sure, I haven't figured it out quite what it is that's driving us yet, but I do recognize that our security comes from the steadfast, unconditional love of Jesus and you are enough right now. Because Jesus says that you are enough right now. You know, I, I don't know who taught you what you know. I, I don't know who taught you how you lead or taught you, you know, what it is that you do and how you treat people. I don't know where you get that from. I think we get that from a lot of different people. But this idea of servant leadership, this idea of descending in order for God to raise you up, I, I see no greater example of that in my life than my father. My dad is an unbelievable pastor, even today. Uh, my dad is, is 84. Um, I'm, losing, I'm losing sight now. He might be 85. Um, he'll correct me because he's probably listening. But uh, he, he'll, he'll listen. To this. He listens every Sunday, every Sunday afternoon. And if that podcast doesn't go live, I get a call. I can't find your program. That's what he calls it. I can't find your program. Um, dad's such a, such a great, great mentor to me. And uh, I, 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 I love your kids. When you see me bring Hudson on stage and spend a little time with him, that will be the greatest thing that happens in my life today. No matter what happens, any other moment today, like that's the highlight for me. Uh, I went in in North Park kids this morning. I brought my breakfast and I sat. They've got these little tables in there. I don't know if you've been in there. Y'all really need to go serve in there, y'all. It's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful way to serve. But they've got these little tables, and they've got these little chairs. Stephanie, are they about that big? Yep, yep. And I sat down in this little chair, just like this, like this. It was so hard to get down there. It was so little. And I sat there at a table with our kids, and I ate my breakfast, and I just talked to them, and I listened to them. And I'm still trying to figure out how one got their arm broke, but we'll talk about it later. Um, like just this just beautiful moment. And, and I truly, it's my favorite thing about ministry at North Park Church are, are these kids that I get to, to live, live life with. I love them to death. And to watch them grow, uh, Polly came and gave me a hug this morning, and uh, I used to hug her like this, and now I'm kind of hugging her like this. And I'm like, that's weird. Um, it, it's amazing to watch them grow. And I often think about where I got that from. There's no question I got that from my dad. Because every Sunday, my, my dad's old school, you know, still like when he finishes preaching, he goes to the back door and he shakes everybody's hand as they go out. You had a pastor like that when you grew well, up? I bet your dad was like that. And 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 he, he he would stand at the back door, still does, every week and, and te- greet everybody as they go out, you know. And everybody's, you know, talking to him. And it didn't matter who he was talking to, still doesn't. doesn't matter who he's talking to when a little kid comes by. Whoever he's talking to kind of gets this right here. Hold, hold on just a second. Bam. Bam and then gets eyeball to eyeball with these kids and just loves them. And I see him do that over and over and over, not just with kids, but with strangers and people in his city. You know, my dad has never just pastored a congregation. He's always pastored a community. He never felt just called to a local church. He felt called to a community. And and I, I really believe this idea of what it looks like to pastor a city is something that I saw firsthand with my dad. And my dad taught me a principle that I think if we could get this principle, it would be a game changer for the way that we live our lives. And here's the principle. Be someone's biggest cheerleader. Be someone's biggest fan. And and when the people that you serve, that you lead through servant leadership, when they know that that's the way that you lead, they're going to flock to you. John Maxwell says that leadership is influence. You want influence in people's lives so that you can really share the gospel with Jesus and show them a different way to live their life? Be their biggest cheerleader. Because when you make that investment in someone's life, man, they'll follow you to the moon. Because they know that you believe in them. I was talking to somebody recently, and he used this verbiage. I don't think I've ever heard this verbiage. And and he said, I I was given an opportunity to serve on this team or go to this company, but I recognized very quickly that the guy that was recruiting me, I recognized very quickly, that's not a person I could go to battle with. I never heard that before. Because if I was to go to battle with this guy, like not to fight against him, but would this guy fight for me? When things got tough, is this a person that I want to be in the trenches with? And I realized very quickly, this is not the opportunity for me because that's not the kind of leader I want to serve with. But when you are someone's biggest cheerleader, you are somebody's biggest fan, they know that more than anything else than you want from them, it's not performance, it's not all this other stuff, you just want to love on them and invest in them. You'll get more out of them than you ever dreamed that you could. And here's the great thing about it your encouragement, your ability to be their biggest fan may be the very thing that helps them to keep running. Take a look right here as we close. Here comes the runner. Could I run with you? Sure. Is that okay? Yeah. Hey, could I run with you? Yeah. Can I just join your jog? Just do it. I'm just about done, but I'll go with you to the end. OK, I'm Asia. Morgan. Nice to meet you, Morgan. Morgan. It's Morgan. Morgan. 30, seconds. 30 seconds. They're coming towards you, station one. First sign's going up. Now. Is that not amazing? That's what we're gonna do this afternoon. All right, we're gonna to go to Joyner Park where I got kicked out, and we're gonna rectify my no. I love that video, and every time I watch it, I almost get a little emotional. Right, the first time I did, I did get very emotional. It just gets me. I love that there's a trumpet. I love that. <laughs> I, I I love that 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 girl. She she. I don't know if you caught it at the end, but you see what she said. I was gonna quit. who all God called them to be. My question is, what's in your hands that you could use to make somebody feel like that? You may say, I'm not the leader of a big team or a big corporation or a classroom or a sports team. I don't know that i lead anything. You can use what's in your hand to be somebody's biggest cheerleader. You can serve as a leader. I, I can tell you, um, I had the wonderful privilege when my grandmother went home to be with Jesus to, um, to do her celebration of life. And so I stood up in front of a packed house and got to celebrate the, the life of Elsie of Brewer. And my grandmother, um, was she was kind of like Granny Clampin. Does anybody remember Granny Clampett? That was my grandma in every possible way. In a lot of ways, she was very tough on us. She popped my hand every time I would touch her refrigerator. I could have anything I wanted, but I could not open that refrigerator. It was like the Ark of the Covenant, and I was not allowed in it. But I could have anything I wanted, I just couldn't touch it. So I used to get so frustrated at that. I'm still a little frustrated at it now that I think about it. But she had this wonderful gift of making things. She made quilts. We've got quilts. My kids got quilts. Everybody got a quilt, you know. Um, she also made these things, I don't know what you call them, but you crochet them and you put them over Kleenex boxes to make them look very fancy. Anybody got one of those from her grandma growing up? You know, How about the sock that looked like a monkey? Anybody know what I'm talking about? She made those. She just made all kinds of stuff. And when you would come to her house, would all this stuff laid on the bed, and you could go in and pick one. You just pick the thing and take it home. It was so sweet. Um, and, and, and she loved golden kraut. In fact, they opened a new Golden Corral in Johnson County, and she wanted to be first through the line. So she contacted the manager. I started to say the mayor. The manager and asked to be the first in line. So my grandmother, Elsie Brew, was the first to go through the Golden Corral line. That's her claim to fame um, when, when it opened. But she didn't just go to eat. She went to serve. Because every one of those people that worked there, she made them quilts. Do you know how long it takes to make a quilt? You know what I mean? She gave them quilts and all these things that she made by hand. And she just loved on them in a very tangible way. She was their biggest cheerleader. And at the end of her service, her celebration of life, I I asked a question. I said, I'd like to just, just for my personal benefit, if, if you're here today and my grandmother gave you a gift that she made with her hands I want you to raise your hand right now and I would dare say it looked like every hand in the room went up, including all of the people that were there from Golden Corral she was their biggest cheerleader so I don't know what it is you do with your time and where you, where you spend your day or the people that you influence the people that you serve I do know your encouragement to the people that God has entrusted you with may be the very thing that's helping somebody keep going and the truth of the matter is somebody's doing that for you somebody's done that in your life and you are who you are and you're here today because somebody led you that way so my question is who are you leading Jesus, I thank you that you've given us a beautiful example of what it means to lead and to love with all of our heart. Lord, you answered a very simple question, what's the greatest commandment? And your answer was this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, soul, and strength. But love your neighbor as yourself. And I recognize the world has its way of doing things not so with us. God, help us to do it differently. Help us to live our lives in such a way, Lord, that we make an impact that would have eternal value and point people, their hearts, to a Savior who loves them unconditionally and offers them eternal life. Lord, help us. To be a reflection of your glory into the marketplace and to our schools and to our communities and into nonprofits and into our neighborhoods. God, help us pastor a city. And I pray like never before that you just release a spirit of revival through servant leaders just like this. And we are grateful. And Lord, I pray if there's someone here today, Lord, they don't know what it means to have that kind of relationship with you, that right where they are in the privacy of their devotion, they would say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life today. I invite you to be my Lord and Savior. Give me strength to live for you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray.